Check podcasts. This is Van Collar. Van Collar. My name is Mo Amir, and this is Van Color, British Columbia's bonafide culture and politics TV talk show right here on Check and Check Plus. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Tonight, let's talk about the role of your city governments when it comes to the country's favorite hot topic, housing. Are municipalities like the city of Vancouver to blame for the province's housing unaffordability? Conservative Party of Canada leadership candidate Pierre Polyev certainly thinks so, and our featured guest tonight is here to respond, a PhD from the London School of Economics and a former Canadian member of parliament. He is the 40th and current mayor of Vancouver. He's up for re-election this year in the city of Vancouver, now leading the electoral organization Forward Together, he is Kennedy Stewart, Mayor Stewart. So nice to see you. Nice to be back. So I'm on Twitter. Yep. And I see a viral video. And it is Conservative Party of Canada yeah. leadership candidate, presumed frontrunner, Pierre Polyev. And he really singles out Vancouver City Hall, which includes you, council, yep. and staff. And he calls you guys the big city gatekeepers. And he says, and I want to get this quote right, that... As the big city gatekeeper, you are destroying the home ownership dreams of working class youth. And he attributes this to slow building permitting processes and other governmental costs. When you saw that, and I know you saw that because you're getting a lot of in inquiries to respond. Yep. What's your response? Well, my first thought was Skippy. <laughs> because uh, Pierre Polyev, I was in parliament with the Stephen Harper government. I was mm -hmm. with Jack Layton and uh, Pierre was with uh, Harper. Mm -hmm. And he was the attack dog for Harper. And his nickname in the House of Commons was Skippy because I don't know why it stuck, but it stuck. <laughs> and so every time he would get up to speak, everybody would say Skippy. So so that's kind of – and I don't want to um, you know make light of the situation because I know it's serious for people uh, in terms of housing. But – I think you have to look at the messenger here mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, a career politician, I think, elected at 25 in the in the in the deepest days of the, of the Harper cuts and muzzling scientists and all that kind of stuff. I mean, so I think you really have to be careful in terms of listening to what he says. I, I know the report that he was quoting, you know, it was it was poorly done. Mm -hmm. uh, but I do think that um, I do agree with him that. People are under serious stress when it comes to housing. Absolutely. Uh, but in terms of the blame game, uh, I think the feds have a lot to account for, as does the province. But um, but it, it is a topic that we're all gripped with and um, and uh, and need to work on together to fix. Right. But it's not just Pierre Polyev. I mean, BC Attorney General mm -hmm. David Eby, uh, the leader of the BC Liberals, Kevin Falcon, have all made these indications that yeah. maybe it's time for senior levels of government to intervene, effectively taking away powers from municipal governments and speeding up or fast-tracking housing permitting or housing development. Yeah. So when you hear that from, you know, very different parties, how does that make you feel in terms of should senior levels of government really step up or is this an intrusion of municipal powers? Yeah, I mean, for me, let's just look at some facts here. So in 2010, when we hosted the Olympics in Vancouver, uh, we had 4,200 units of housing under construction. Mm -hmm. uh, last year, after our account, we have now over 9,000. Okay. So we've doubled 
the amount of housing not approved, but being built. Uh, last year, we also approved about 10,000 new units. Mm-hmm. So that 9,000 a year number is going to increase, increase, increase up to 11, 12, 13,000 units a year, which if you're having all this trouble at City Hall, how did you manage those increases? And right. and that's what I mean is like a lot of this discussion is not fact-based. It's based on uh, who can they point the finger at. I, I would agree with um, some of these, uh, you know, uh, folks that are saying this is like the senior government should get involved, but they should get involved. Uh, they, they, they've underinvested in housing for decades, and now they turn around and say, oh, wow, we have a housing problem. They should get back in <laughs> with funding. Yeah. I mean, that's really what they need to do. Uh you know, local governments are there for a reason. It is to make sure that what we do locally reflects the will of, of the public. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's so much minutia. I was in a, I've been in a, a public hearing last night for four hours. Uh, you know, uh, the same building we were debating two hours before. You know, 68 speakers from the public. Right. The province and feds don't want to do that. that that's us. <laughs> no, right? I don't that's think our so. job. And, but but I do think though that the facts uh, speak for themselves. Is is doubling housing since 2010 shows that we're doing a lot right, but it also shows the need. If we have a vacancy rate of uh, 1.1% mm-hmm. and we're still building record levels of housing and record levels of, of rental housing, there's a long way to go. And um, you know that's why I'm seeking a second term because uh, I've got a lot more to do. Yeah. So it sounds like you want more carrot than stick from senior levels of government. And I don't know what kind of sticks they have. <laughs> I, I don't know what kind of, you know, I, I know uh, Mr. Polyev said he was going to force us to approve more housing, mm-hmm. but that's just a lie. There's mm. there's nothing they can do at the federal level other than provide funding. They can't change our building codes. Mm. They can't uh, come in and all of a sudden whip away our, our public hearings or our approval processes. Right. So what they can do, though, is invest in housing mm. through the Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation, something that the Harper government gutted, and and now the Trudeau government is starting to reinvest in, which I'm very happy about. So they can't institute something that says, you know, any development proposal needs to be cleared in three months. They the, can't. Federal, federally, they can't. Okay. Uh, provincially, I think that would be problematic if they tried to do it. Mm-hmm. Because what makes Vancouver so great, I think, is, is the thought that's put into the city. Mm. So again, as long as we're doing our job, and I, again, I would direct uh, you know ministers who are critical to look at the facts that we've <laughs> doubled the amount of, of construction uh, since 2010 and are increasing to develop, uh, you know, to build those numbers. And also, we've had a revolution here in housing. In 2010, 75% of the housing being built was condos and most of it luxury condos. Right. Now it's almost 60% rental. Hmm. So in the short time I've been in office, we've managed to swing that. And and how we did it was uh, talking with developers, you know, going to them and saying, hey, you're building a condo tower here. Why don't you make it rental instead? Yeah. There's been some good federal incentives that have worked and a lot of demand from from businesses. So uh, so not only have we doubled the housing being built, uh, 60% of it's uh, rental housing for workers. <laughs> you know, really, mm-hmm. workers have to live in this city, and, and that's how they're going to do it. So mm-hmm. so I, I do think you can look at inefficient public hearings one evening when you're sitting there and saying, wow, that, that took a long time to approve a six-story building. <laughs> right. But then you actually look at what we're producing, and you say, oh, that's impressive. Hmm. I have to ask, as a former colleague of yeah. Mr. Polyev, 
did you guys have a relationship? Yeah. Do you have a relationship now? Yeah, I, I found it. Because it's, it's possible that you might be mayor and he might be prime minister and you'll have to work together, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, before uh, uh, Justin Trudeau was prime minister, we sat on the third bench in opposition and, and knew each other. Uh, uh, Pierre Polyev is, is actually quite a, a funny, charming guy. So we would, you know, talk in the elevators and hallways. And, and you know, when I was elected in 2018, I said, I will use my knowledge uh, of Ottawa, seven years there to get stuff done. And mm. uh, I've secured, what, a billion dollars in housing, social housing money uh, from using those connections, whatever side of the house you're sitting on, I will talk to you. Mm -hmm. So uh, that has been, I think, uh, something I've really used to our advantage. Right. Now, what if someone comes to you and says, Mayor Stewart, I like you, you're a good guy, but here's the thing. Vancouver is the third least affordable city in the world. Home ownership costs have gone mm -hmm. up. Re the price of renting and the cost of renting yeah. has gone up. You know, I, I, I want to believe that you're doing all the right things, yeah. but I'm just not seeing it yet. Yeah. What, what's your elevator pitch to them to say that you are doing the right things? Yeah, and I think it, it's it's really a concern. Um, but it, it how long this is going on shows the depth of the problem. So, so let's take this in uh, kind of economic terms. Let's think about supply and demand. So if we look at the demand side uh, of housing is what the worry is, is all kinds of people who don't need housing are buying it up and, and speculating on it. Mm -hmm. And so that drives up prices. So uh, we have brought in so many demand side measures. One, for example, is uh, empty homes tax. Uh, that I increased to 3%. And it just today, I uh, publicly announced I'm going to try to get council to increase it to 5 hmm. and double the number of audits. Because you spend all this time uh, approving condo uh, buildings, say, you have developers uh, take maybe four years to build them, you put them out in the market, and then somebody buys out a floor and leaves it empty. Right. Right. And so that defeats the purpose. So the empty homes tax has been very effective. I think we've uh, put almost over 5,000 units back on the market. Uh, and that's why I think we need to increase it, increase the audits. So all that housing that, that's being built uh, is actually being used. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, uh, so that's demand side. Like, so that's the main power we have on demand is to force empty units back uh, into the, basically use. But on the supply side, it's all about building. Right. And, and what are you building? Um, I often say like, Vancouver, uh, since really 2010, it was all icing and no cake, <laughs> right? Like we were building condo after condo. I mean, I, I rent a condo downtown. Yeah. Uh, it's worth $2 million. I need to put like $400,000 down to buy it. That's icing. Like mm -hmm. that is, a, it's a rental property uh, that we're living in. But what we haven't built is kind of workforce housing. Mm. And so uh, that is what I've been focusing on. Not only a market rental, secured market rental, which there's thousands and thousands of units coming online, but also um, some of this housing that's available below market. So, for example, we have this uh, moderate income uh, housing rental pilot program. Merp. We've approved, yep, MERPS. Yeah. We've approved 12 of those buildings. 20, these are all rental buildings. 20% mm -hmm. uh, of the units in these buildings are uh, basically built for people making minimum wage, working full time. But they're secured uh, for the life of the building at that level. Mm -hmm. So you're making minimum wage, you live in a studio apartment, you move on to do something else. The next person that moves in gets the same rent you had. Right. And that has never happened before in the city. And so, so that means because they're all over neighborhoods all over the city, 
Uh, that means workers, uh, those essential workers that are being really pushed out of the city, have a place to go forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so that uh, revolutionary, lots of mayors call up and say, "Whoa, what are you guys doing over there?" Because mm-hmm. it's not on city land; it's all built by private money. Right. All all the builders need is a little more density, a little more height, and they can they can make this work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this has been a great success. So it sounds like you're saying it's coming. Like we're doing the right things, but it's yeah. And I, and I think the depth of the problem. Uh, shows how far we have have to go. Like, yeah. okay, the prime minister recently challenged all cities to double the number of units they're building. Well, we've already done that in Vancouver, and we still aren't getting the results. Hmm. And so it shows you how tough this is, not just in Vancouver, but everywhere in Canada now. I feel like the way to frame most of the municipal elections in BC this year will be around what is the scope of municipal governments? Because Mm. there seems to be this dichotomy where some people, including a lot of talking heads in the media, are saying, you know what, we just want city governments to pick up the garbage and fix the potholes and mow the grass, stick to basic services. And then on the other side, there are people, and including politicians, saying, you know, there are a lot of things that senior levels of government used to be responsible for that are now downloaded onto municipalities. Yep. Reportedly, the city of Vancouver spent $219 million in 2021 on things that were provincial or federal responsibilities. Mm-hmm. So so give me your take. How do you justify the city of Vancouver spending that much money on things that apparently are outside of the scope of what the city should be doing? Yeah, it is a conundrum for most mayors. I'm in this group. Uh, Michael Bloomberg invited me to it. It's with 40 U.S. mayors and some Canadian mayors. And we just really, these are the kind of things we talk about. Mm -hmm. So if there's a need in your community and the senior governments who are responsible for it don't do it, what do you do? Do you not address it and and let it fester and get worse? Or do you jump in and try to create solutions and then really drag the senior governments in later? Right. Uh, And that's uh, really been my approach. And And it's easy to say, and my opponents say this, all the time, only fund core services. Well, what does that mean? Then, for example, I don't go out and try to get the World Cup. You know, <laughs> like, I mean, is that really what citizens of Vancouver want? They, right. they want a mayor that goes out and measures potholes, which is important. Like, you have to fix those things. Sure. But do you, uh, you know, you have one person dying a day here of overdoses, which is obviously a health concern. Mm-hmm. But do you stand by and let people drop dead and not do anything? Mm-hmm. I, I think that if if those are the debates that you're having then you shouldn't be mayor like you're you got to do the best you can on on every issue whether you have the authority or not mm-hmm. but you also have to do it in a fiscally prudent way and and that's the tough balance so you think it's a very simple argument that some people are saying when they say just stick to the basics and disingenuous because hmm. obviously these are people who have never worked in civic government because <laughs> they they don't really like if you look at the budgets and the structures and stuff that just no cities do that anymore. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what, stop signs and potholes. Cities are way bigger than that. So, for yeah. example, uh, we're a sister city ra- relationship with uh, Ukraine. And so I was on, uh, I've been on Zoom calls with the mayor of Ukraine, uh, sorry, of uh, Odessa, mm. uh, while they're being shelled for the first time. And we're talking about, well, how do we bring uh, refugees from his city to our city? Oh, wow. And so uh, do I not do that? Right. You know, and I and I think those like there is the theory. Uh, there are folks that like to do be armchair mayors. Everybody likes to do it, but when <laughs> sure. you're in the job and you get these calls, you take them and do the best you can. Let's talk about the drug poisoning crisis for a second. Uh, I've been very outspoken about this. There's so many great people doing great work on the front lines. I know last time we talked, you talked about how you're willing to go to the wall on this file. Mm -hmm. I talked to Christine Boyle about this file as well. 
And I'm, I'm just curious, I mean, this was one of your key pillars when you ran in yep. 2018. Have you exhausted sort of everything you can do as a mayor of a major city? I mean, we are talking about seven people dying a day in mm -hmm. BC, as you said, about one a day in, in yep. the city of Vancouver. You talked about lobbying senior levels of government for safe supply and decriminalization. Yep. Is there anything else you can really do on this file? You know, we, we do a lot uh, on this. And in fact, this is the offloading that you're talking about. Um, so, for example, we fund programs where we have uh, folks that live in SROs uh, to go around and check on their neighbors to make sure they're OK, mm -hmm. uh, to often revive them when they've overdosed uh, to mm -hmm. be kind of, uh, you know, uh, the eyes of the SROs. Uh, we, we fund uh, programs where folks who are coming out of addiction or mental health crises actually get employed to do stuff uh, kind of uh, kind of um, lower. Or, uh, you know, jobs that are that are not uh, high barrier jobs. And so uh, they can kind of get back on their feet. Uh, and um, those are the kind of things we can directly fund, mm -hmm. uh, as well as as much housing as we can get, uh, which, like I said, we've secured uh, over a billion dollars for that. Many folks are starting to land in modular housing, mm -hmm. refurbished hotels. Uh, but the services that are provided, the healthcare services, that's what has to come from the province. Mm -hmm. uh, the decriminalization ha and safe supply, that's what has to come from the federal government. And mm -hmm. we have to push, 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 push to get them to move. I, I talked to the prime minister about this two weeks ago. Uh, I continue to talk to his various health ministers is that you can't run away from this. You've right. got to stand up and take leadership and say, people who die of overdoses are just as valuable as anybody else. Mm -hmm. But they, they, that this crisis has been basically ignored uh, is a travesty and now spreading across the country. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Really quickly, I'm hearing that one of your opponents is going to float this idea that you can take city land in the city of Vancouver and work with different organizations, perhaps senior levels of government, to, cre to create uh, addiction treatment centers. Is that something you've looked at or is that something that's even realistic that the city can do? Yeah, I mean, so uh, we have no control over their health services, right? That uh, Vancouver Coastal Health is the organization that we work with all the time. We partner with all the time. But those initiatives have to be led by the people that supply the doctors and nurses. Sure. So we could say, here's a building we have and we don't know how to build it because we're not healthcare providers. Right. And then, uh, boy, it'd be great if all these doctors and nurses came in. Like, so that has to be led by the health authority and mm -hmm. they're doing it. We've opened a brand new uh, safe supply center uh, in, in on Hastings Street. Um, uh, Dr. Christy Sutherland and her colleagues have opened this with a women's health uh, care clinic in the back. Mm -hmm. uh, 58 West Hastings we're partnering with. So so the health care provision has to be led by the province and the health care authorities. Uh, but where we can help is with safe uh, space. So mm -hmm. uh, the overdose prevention site in Yaletown uh, that many of my colleagues voted against and campaigned against that can assume actively campaign not to have that happen. Um, you know, we can provide lower lease costs for, for those types of facilities, which we did. Mm -hmm. um, but that is that is why the partnerships are crucial, because this is not a one government solution. Right. So I have to ask, I'm, I'm seeing this narrative really being perpetuated by some of your political opponents, by some op-eds in the media, that Vancouver is an unsafe city. Mm -hmm. You're the top dog. You're overseeing the whole city. So so tell me, is Vancouver unsafe or is it getting increasingly unsafe? Because both would be concerning, obviously. Yeah, and it's part of what we've been talking about already. There's been a lot of offloading by provincial and federal government. So, for example, a lot of 
street disorder, if you want to call that, is basically related to, to drugs, the overdose crisis, the, uh, the kind of uh, inability of people to get the proper housing. And so in the end, when the senior governments kind of get away from that, it lands on us. And more importantly, it lands on our uh, really only 24-7 services in the city, which are police and fire, mm-hmm. who are just knocking themselves out to uh, to handle what is essentially an offloaded, uh, you know, the province and feds offloading their responsibilities to the city. It doesn't make anybody feel better on the ground to explain that's what's happening, right? But that is what's happening. So when you have, um, you know, a hundred thousand uh, injecting drug users in the province, uh, and you really don't provide much care for them. Uh, they're going to land on the streets and be in very difficult shape. When you have, uh, you know, thousands of folks with uh, mental health uh, challenges who you don't provide services to, they're going to land on the streets. And this is, the, and you're going to have, you know, folks are going to run into each other, and you're going to have a conflict, which you see happening. Um, so you know, is Vancouver getting increasingly un- unsafe? Yeah, I would say, you know, um, that. Everybody should feel safe in the city, and I know some people do and some people don't. Mm-hmm. But uh, the key here is public safety means different things to different people. Right. So, uh, you know, if you're being assaulted, of course, uh, or you're, uh, you know, you have your car broke into, I think that's traditional policing mm-hmm. kind of activity, and our police are great. The VPD have a, a very high solve rate. Uh, they're very well funded, and we fund them a million dollars a day to do this work. But if you're somebody that's um, uh, experiencing hate, if you're experiencing um uh, you know, uh, anti-black racism or or uh, anti-Asian hate, uh, you also need to feel safe. And mm-hmm. so we need to broaden the conversation from crime to public safety and mm-hmm. say the city needs a, a, a larger approach uh, to this to make sure everybody feels safe. Right. Now, I have to ask you, uh, you did strike a deal with BC Attorney General David Eby regarding tent cities, effectively yep. ending tent cities, because you were able to find places for people to go yep. as alternatives. Victoria had a very similar deal. However, I'm seeing a tent city in Crab Park. Right. So what happened? Yeah, so so the uh, you know we have these three different uh, governments, essentially, have three different areas of jurisdiction. Uh, the Park Board has uh, sole jurisdiction over parks uh, as defined by our charter. So even if the city, say, for example, wanted to get an injunction in a park, we can't do it. That's the park board's uh, legal jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. The province provides housing. And so what the city does is support both these organizations. And sure. that's what our MOU says. Uh, so when we see uh, a new encampment uh, growing, uh, essentially, the housing minister, BC Housing, has to say uh, there's enough housing for everybody. The park board then gets an injunction and, and moves people gently out into housing. Uh, and then we support through our homeless outreach teams or whatever other support we can give. And that's worked very well in, uh, say, in Strathcona. It, it want, it's an enormous amount of housing we had to secure, which we did. Mm-hmm. Um uh, but in in in, uh, in Crab Park, we're watching that situation very carefully. Uh, there was an injunction that was applied for, but it was rejected uh, by a judge. Hmm. So now we're back to the drawing board in a way, looking at well, what else can we do? We did have enough housing, uh, but the courts have rejected injunctions. Oh, interesting. So, uh, so we are now uh, working. We've had uh, lots of meetings about what we can do next to 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 make sure those people get homes. 
We are now in the podcast exclusive part of my chat with Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart. Mayor Stewart, thanks so much for taking up the whole show. This um, is a big I'm blockbuster. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we did this four years ago as a podcast. Isn't yep. that wild how, how time changes? Yeah, really good response. Lots of people talked to me about that one and said it was really, they, they understood me a lot better as a person. So thanks for having me on and back I, again. I'm happy to hear that. Happy to give you that uh, that format so you can explain some ideas because yeah. we get a lot of this news in, in sound bites, And I think it's yeah. important, especially on a municipal level to maybe sit down with things and, and try to understand them more. I want to talk, and now you have a podcast. Yeah, just started for the first time. I've uh, how are you yeah, liking it? I I love it. I thought maybe after all these careers, I'd like to go into radio or something. <laughs> so it's a it's a good way to start it off. But you know, uh, I, I grew up really without a television, so yeah. listening to radio is a huge part of my life, and I, and I still do it all the time. So podcasts are natural, and we'll see how it goes. So you'll have to. Is that the natural progression for politicians? Like once you're done with politics, mm-hmm. then you go into talk radio. Maybe I mean I like writing. I'm a, I I miss writing so much, yeah. uh, and so I probably go back to that. But the, you know, I guess people are still reading books. But yeah, uh. <laughs> I want to go back to the discussion about the drug poisoning crisis mm-hmm. in, in particular. I again, I'm not saying I'm a I'm an activist by any means, but I, I've been very vocal on this file. I think that the province certainly needs to do more. I think the federal government needs to do more. And then, you know, I've asked people who I know would be openly critical of, of you and, and city council about what else the city can do. Mm-hmm. And really, they kind of shrug and say, not much else. Like, it, it's kind of tough. So, you know, you ran on this as one of your key pillars. Just going back to this, what else is the city doing to to push forward this agenda? Yeah, so the first motion we passed at council was the uh, overdose task force, and we brought together teams of folks to you know to to uh, figure out what we could what we could do both at the city level, but what we could also push for at the senior levels of government. Um, and really, the, the the big thing that took a ton of work was putting an application to Health Canada to decriminalize mm-hmm. uh, the possession of small amounts of. Um, substances. And why that's so important, a lot of people talk about stigma. But uh, the other side is that uh, police still seize drugs. Mm-hmm. So even though they may not uh, you know, charge you with possession, they're still uh, seizing your drugs. And this is why decriminalization is so important. Also, if you, uh, if you have a large uh, quantity of drugs, you can take a small amount and get it tested to find out exactly what's in it. And right. so you're not poisoning your customers. So there is this is a hugely important thing that that has been sitting on the health minister's desk now for a year. And I just think how many people have died. Uh, I have a family member who who died uh, of an overdose and I have another family member who's overdosed multiple times. Mm. And I just think like what has to happen for you to move on this? Yeah. And so, you know, constantly um, – Pushing, pushing, pushing. And what is the roadblock? Like, are you just hearing radio silence or is there an answer back when, when you're lobbying for these things? I think it's just fear at the federal level. I think mm-hmm. that, um, you know, pr- prior to us supplying for decriminalization, maybe the, the, uh, it, it wasn't as serious a crisis in other cities, but it's really starting to pick up tragically in other cities. Mm-hmm. So right across the prairies, uh, Alberta, now in Ontario, you have the Toronto Board of Health now uh, pushing for decriminalization of, of drugs too. And so I feel like the pressure is mounting. And sometimes that's what major change takes yeah, is for you to exactly. lead and just don't give up. Um, safe supply as well. Uh, that has been slow to roll out. Uh, some of it's uh, provincial trouble, but also uh, the College of Physicians and Surgeons 
uh, has been pretty brutal on this. They have, doctors who have been uh, providing safe supply have been audited over and over and over hmm. again. Uh, so you have a very, I would say, conservative um, professional body hmm. that is not embracing and this uh, this uh, this treatment approach, and they're letting people die. Yeah, and and. It, it's uh, the doctors. It's hard to criticize their own professional organization, but I'm happy to, and they got to get on board. And and that again is is a mayor's role is to speak for your community, even if you don't have the formal power to do everything you want. And that's what I won't stop. Right. I think the the thing with the drug poisoning crisis is. In contrast to COVID, where we really saw movement from all levels of government, mm -hmm. we've seen how government acts in a quote-unquote emergency. And mm -hmm. I feel like that's the main frustration for a lot of people in this province and in this country, that it just doesn't feel like it's being treated as an emergency. It isn't. And, and that is, um, you know, there's all kinds of privilege in in this country and and. Part of the, you know, I was in Ottawa for seven years. It's a, it's a privileged crew of folks, mm -hmm. and you know, it's, it's, it's not seen as perhaps as important because of the community that it's impacting, yeah. which are are the folks who are or the worst well off. You know, the folks who are down on their luck. And and in fact, I think uh, my grandfather was an Anglican priest and and I think like that's exactly the community that you stick up for mm -hmm. and you put everything you got into helping them because you know, rich people can take care of themselves more or less, right? right. But when you're when you're, you know, if if you haven't got a job and you're and you're, you know, moving between uh unstable unstable housing situations and you're addicted and you're, you know, like how much worse how much tougher can life get for you? Mm -hmm. So we owe it to these folks to do everything we can to make their lives better. And I know that lots of my opponents don't believe that, um, but I do, and I I won't stop fighting. And I can understand people's frustration. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, some things, again, I can talk about publicly, and I do other things. I've told the folks that are working with me that I won't talk about it to give them a chance to actually do the right thing. Sure. Let's shift gears to the other public health emergency, the COVID nineteen right. pandemic. You've touted Vancouver's high vaccination rates and response to COVID as a great success. And I know when you said that, a lot of people said, well, hey, the, the federal government uh, got the vaccines and BC and, and Dr. Bonnie Henry, you know, you know, they helped with the rollout. Mm -hmm. uh, what did you what did you yeah. do, Mayor Stewart? Yeah, and so I want to ask you, I want to give you space <laughs> sure. to, to say why you tout that as a great success for the city of Vancouver and, and your role in that. Yeah, I mean, the senior government's definitely, uh, you know, use their authority to do everything they could and I don't want to take away from them. But early on, I remember, like, it kind of gives me the shake still to think about it, but I was on this uh, call with international mayors uh, every week because they were starting to get COVID in their cities. And I remember talking to this Italian mayor uh, who was crying because his, his hospitals right. were overloaded. They were dying. They were digging mass graves. Hmm. And, uh, you know, it's like, well, what? And I didn't feel like Canada was really there yet in terms mm -hmm. of how serious this was. And so I remember St. Patrick's Day when I worked, I, I called Adrian Dix and we talked to uh, Bonnie Henry and, and Dr. Daly. And we, I said, I need to shut down. I need to shut down the downtown for St. Patrick's Day because I don't want some kind of super spreader event. And so they mm -hmm. agreed and we shut, we shut all the bars and restaurants down. Uh, and then uh, not long after I declared the first uh, state of emergency in the history of the city, uh, because there wasn't anything in effect. There was no provincial emergency, state of emergency. There wasn't any federal. Uh, all through that period of time, federal ministers were calling me every night saying, we don't have any data on what's happening with um, 
with the COVID infections. And I would like get the best numbers I could from our health authority and say, well, the cases are climbing, cases are climbing. And literally those are phone calls and people writing things down with pencils. Wow. Right. And so, so that was super scary. Uh, then our revenue started to collapse. Yeah. Uh, right. We, people weren't parking downtown once things started to shut down. Sure. And, um, you know, so then then we had to work with the federal and provincial governments to talk about, uh, you know, support for municipalities and and all of that was going on. But the back of my mind, all I could think was, oh, my God, this is going to rip through the downtown east side because mm. these folks have uh, these folks are most vulnerable, compromised immune systems. So our city staff, uh, we pulled out all the stops with uh, with libraries and community centers and our, our own staff. We, we uh, they coupled up with the uh, with the Vancouver Coastal Health to send basically teams downtown to make sure that folks were were uh, separated, uh, you know, distancing. Uh, and so that was early on in the pandemic. And then. Uh, the senior government started to kick in more. So then you're more of an advocate afterwards. So mm-hmm. talking about the importance of uh, vaccination, but uh, sending in bylaw enforcement teams. Remember, there's a whole bunch of restaurants that were not complying. Right? Sure. They, they <laughs> remember that? So like you have to send in your healthcare, you know, you have to send in your bylaw enforcement officers and shut down those restaurants and tell people to stay at home, like all those kind of regular things. Um, so, I mean, that uh, you know, and then you're still trying to manage the finances of the city. At the same time, you're in the middle of an overdose and housing crisis. Mm-hmm. So, so like I said, the amount of housing that we we produced, you know, we have which is double what we were producing in in uh, in 2010, mm-hmm. came during a pandemic. So, um, you know, we were keeping our eye on the on the municipal prize while at the same time doing everything we could to help the federal and provincial governments. I remember talking to various embassies saying, hey, do you have masks for our frontline workers? Because wow. police and firefighters had no PPE. Wow. So so all that at the beginning was, was um, you know, something I hadn't done before. <laughs> so this mm-hmm. is all pretty new. Uh, and then it was really assisting the federal and provincial governments as, as we went along. Uh, yeah. And I'm just, but it wasn't all, everybody in the city was so amazing. Like, that's mm-hmm. what I'm so proud of. And, and people should pat themselves on the back because, Absolutely. you know, when you're up in the 95% um, vaccination levels, like that was leadership for the whole world. People mm-hmm. were looking at us and going, how did you get vaccination? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's because we all work together. Right. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, that, uh, that was uh, a real trial by fire, that whole thing. I want to touch briefly on your relationship with the police, because I think you right. get unfairly branded as a defund the police yeah. mayor, even that though unfair. you have not done yeah. that. No, um, there was a police budget freeze. And then there yeah. and then the year after that, there was an increase. Um, you did step down as the spokesperson for yeah. the police board. Yeah. What is your relationship with with the police? Do you think they are adequately funded or do you think they will? require more funding, especially as we talk about the the things like disorder in the streets yeah. that some people have concerns about. Yeah, I mean, um, a couple of things. First, uh, I was talking to Chief Adam Palmer the other day. I talked to him all the time, and he and his wife were watching the TV news one night, and they were saying, you know, we have such a bad relationship. And she, she said to him, <laughs> I thought you had a good relationship with the mayor. <laughs> but at the exact same time, my wife and I are watching TV, and she turned to me and said the same thing. I thought you had a good relationship with the chief, and we do. I mean, we, yeah. we've been working shoulder to shoulder on safe supply and decriminalization uh, and all the regular policing stuff. So I feel like that's a very solid relationship and it's great because he's like the top cop in the country. He's mm-hmm. so decorated. Um, uh, but what's been confusing, I think, for folks is understanding how policing works in the city. Yeah. And the province recently clarified it with a ruling 
saying that basically, even though the police are paid out of the property tax budget, the city has no control over how much we spend. Right, exactly. Which is really important for people to know because even if, uh, you know, even if we think we disagree with what the police board puts forward, which Mm -hmm. is a provincially appointed body, as to what we should pay for policing, the city has no control over that. And actually, that was half of our property tax increase last year. Oh, wow. So you think about how much discretion we have over our budget. 20% of it's policing, and we have no control over that 20%. So, um, The other thing is the police board is appointed by the province, not by the city. Mm -hmm. I sit on it as chair, but I have no vote or ability to amend motions. Mm -hmm. So essentially I make sure the meetings go smoothly, but that's it. Right. So, so we are probably, Vancouver probably has the, the, the least amount of control over policing than really any other city in North America, I would argue. Really? Yeah. And so that's why I said to the province, Hey, you got to fix this. You got to, you've got to straighten these roles out. It's kind of weird that in a major city, mayor and council really have no control over anything that happens mm-hmm. with policing. Still, we get all the blame for it. Sure. <laughs> uh, and that's why they're reviewing the police act. And I think it, we're expecting recommendations uh, this month. You're not the spokesperson again, though. You're, you didn't no. And that actually, so under the police act, I am required to chair. Yeah. Uh, the police spokesperson is, uh, is something that is decided at the board level. Okay. And just because we, you know, we had so many difficult things that were confusing people, like when I was speaking out about systemic racism, mm-hmm. uh, both in the city and in the VPD and the, and the board wasn't quite uh, aligned with me, um, that became very difficult. Uh, and so that's when we decide it's probably best if I just speak as mayor and then we have the vice chair Phil right. to speak okay. as the, uh, as the uh, police board sp- spokesperson. I think that's worked out pretty well. And I, and I think we all agree that it's provided a lot of clarity for the public. Was there an admission by the VPD that systemic racism does exist? The board, yes, has issued a statement uh, to that extent and actually have taken a lot of uh, new steps to kind of address that. Okay. Um, and uh, that's a very positive thing. Uh, you know, and it's too bad that we, this discussion became so inflammatory because the VPT has done a lot. Like, for example, in hiring, they're, they're the most diverse uh, mm-hmm. service in the country. However, practices uh, still need to change, and and uh, and the board is working on that. So I'm I'm glad that they're they're doing that. But as mayor, I have to again make sure everybody feels safe in the city. And sure. at this point, I don't think uh, Indigenous Black people of color feel the same way as as white folks in the city. Mm-hmm. That that policing is uh, is um, you know the how police apply their powers are equally applied. Right. You touched on this idea of the mayor being an ambassador for the city. You, you invoked the idea of the, the World Cup and mm-hmm. um, obviously you're the communicator to the city as well. Right. And you're communicating with other senior levels of government. You're a lobbyist in the sense in terms yep. of lobbying yep. senior levels of government. There are criticisms that I've seen, and this includes criticisms in the media, that you're not out front and um, talking enough, basically. Hmm. What do you what do you say to that? That you're not outspoken enough, or uh, I'm I'm not going on the extreme angle that you need to opine on everything yeah. in the city or the country. Um, but when you hear that or you see that, what is your response? Yeah, uh, for me, it's it's like I said, uh, one of my grandfathers was an Anglican priest, and the other was a gunsmith. So I'd say I'm eighty percent Anglican priest, twenty okay. percent gunsmith. <laughs> and so when I see like a prime ministerial candidate like Andrew Shearer is going to be very damaging for cities. 
I'm going to take a swing at him and say, look, this guy is going to be really bad and we, we don't need him as prime minister. Hmm. Uh, when I see uh, when I see something like uh, systemic racism, uh, both in our own organization and, and in police, I'm going to call it out, which I do. Mm-hmm. So I kind of pick my spots because sure. I think the world's just full of too many people who, who are just uh, politicians, especially who just tweet whatever they think all the time. And, and, and it's I'm taking it's, that as a personal attack. <laughs> You're not a politician. (laughs) No, I'm not. But you said too many people, including politicians. Yeah, okay. But but I do think that – so I don't engage in personal attacks. I never have. Uh, And so that's why I was able to work with Michael Chong, a conservative, and Scott Mm -hmm. Sims, a liberal, and write a book together about reforming parliament. Right. Because the only way forward is through uh, making agreements with other people. Uh, When when you realize there's no chance of making agreement, okay, maybe you just say that. But Mm – but uh, and you, so you felt that way with Andrew Shear that he would oh, yeah. not be yeah because I knew him I knew him in Parliament and I knew that his values don't match my values like hmm. I'm not a social conservative I know Van uh, I know Vancouver that does not match uh, I think the values of the city and I thought it was important to call that out and say look don't be fooled by this guy he's a problem uh, the same thing with Pierre Polyev different different issues uh, we'll see how his leadership turns out but you're reserving opinion for now I am and I okay. I want to see like. He says he's got to push cities into doing more for housing, but let's see what he comes up with in terms of what his federal plan is. Sure. So, you know, you watch and wait and then you, then you make a call. But, you know, uh, all kinds of – all mayors have different styles. Uh, so I would say I'm kind of uh, more like a, a, say, a John Tory uh, type. Like uh, I'm not as – I'm not going to be – out there yelling at everything that comes by. I'm going to, and, and the main thing is to try to deliver for people. That's mm-hmm. so when I said I was going to go off and get money from the federal government and I come back with a billion dollars uh, and we're building 10,000 units of housing for people, like, you know, I, I will talk about that as mm-hmm. I am right now, but um, I think that's more important than, than saying I'm going off and get a billion dollars and not do it. Sure. <laughs> right. Why are you starting your own electoral organization Forward to is the full name Forward Together. Forward Together. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure if it was Forward Together Vancouver or just no, forward, forward Together. Forward yeah. Together. Why are you starting this electoral organization? Yeah, I, um, you know, I've been on council for for four years now as an independent, and um, I think if you've tuned into a council meeting, you see they're what, painful. Yeah, <laughs> and you imagine sitting through four years of that, and then I, I, I think in a weird way when I'm sitting in a room, I think I think about billable hours. Yeah, and I think about like what's my time worth? What's the council's time worth? What's the public's time and the staff time? And I'm like, oh wow, are we ever wasting a lot of money just with uh, taking so long to make decisions and having 200 members motions that mostly end up in being letters to other senior governments, which I would write anyway, mm-hmm. and it's just burning so much time. And that's what we don't have. And so I need a team of folks that are that are going to, to reflect uh, my broad ideas of, of of having a city that's progressive and moving forward and, and uh, you know, tackling the, the housing crisis, the overdose crisis, but that can get along and, um, and they can get things done. Because I just... I, I, it's embarrassing. <laughs> like, seriously, like I have other, you know, other politicians say, oh, we watched your council meeting last night and there were 500 points of order. And I'm like, yeah, for no reason. And then they- and then, 70% of them coming from one counselor, but yeah. sure. Oh, that's everybody has a shot at for sure. But I, but I don't think that's uh, how a global city works. And that's yeah. why I'm running my own team. I, 
when do you, when do you plan to roll out your city council, park board, school board slate? Because we are starting to see increasingly parties, you know, roll out yeah. here's who are running and or have nomination races or, or whatever. Yeah. So uh, I've been taking a lot of time to recruit. Okay. Uh, because I'm looking for very good people that will work well together. Uh, and so, I don't know, I've maybe interviewed 100 people so far. Uh, like really not 10-minute interviews, like just sitting down and really sit, find out who the people are. You, you, a couple will be unveiled, I think, uh, next month. You'll get your first uh, the first two. And then we'll be rolling out other candidates, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as we get toward the election in October. But, uh, you know, and along with that, we'll have platforms. Uh, but a lot of it is, you know, if, if you want more housing – uh, I have a plan for that. You'll, we have a, a, a report coming to council about our progress. Uh, I think it's at this council meeting. You know, I promised 85,000 homes over 10 years, and we've just blown through that target. And I, I just want to I want to keep going on that uh, because I know that's what the city needs. Um, so how much know. of the considerations are strategic? And what I mean by that is, you know, are you going to run five council candidates in hopes of getting them all in to get a majority on on city council? Or are you kind of looking at the field and going, OK, well, you know, one city's got a few formidable candidates. The Greens maybe have some formidable candidates. Here's maybe we'll just run a few to, to fit in. Yeah. Uh, so for me, I want a working majority on council. Um, and we have been in negotiations with all the progressive parties as to um, – as to you know how we can cooperate best, and I think okay. those negotiations are going well. I'm very grateful to have uh, Vancouver District Labor Council endorsement again, which is uh, which is a big deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's sixty thousand unionized employees in the city, so having their backing is super important. And we're united on on getting housing for for working people. That's really what has to, that's one of the biggest challenges of the city. So uh, yeah, but but I've you know I've only got this far because I cooperate with others. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, very grateful to. to to the others for uh, for also being willing to engage in in, in dialogue and discussion and um, but I think there's been a, a little bit too much dialogue and discussion and we need a little more a <laughs> little more action now. Yeah, fair enough. I feel like you could almost give advice to the center right parties hmm. who don't seem to be coordinating the way you just described. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about that on the way over here and and uh, what what. The negotiations that were initiated by the Vancouver District Labor Council were really important because they got us all talking. Mm-hmm. And in the end, uh, I think all the other parties have agreed uh, not to to run a mayor, which I'm, I'm grateful for. I think most of them have at this point. But the right never really had those discussions. Mm-hmm. And so now they're, they're having uh, – They're mostly complaining about everyone else running. Yeah, but but I know like once you commit, like in this stage in the race, once you commit, it's almost impossible to get out. Yeah, especially when you've announced a candidate slate. So, yeah. so really, um, it, it although they're all going to attack me all the way through the election, in the end, one of them is going to have to emerge mm. a, as the lead, the leading right candidate, and the only way they're going to do that is by saying pointing out flaws in the, in the other, and the other. So what they should have done is talked beforehand rather than just tweeting all the time. Right. I think that would have been the best thing to do. But here they are, and uh, and I'm just going to concentrate on on uh, on running the city, which is, you know, our last council meeting's in July. So, you know, I've got all kinds of stuff, Olympics and FIFA and sure. Invictus Games and getting more housing done and, and uh, you know, working with senior levels of government, all the stuff we've been talking about. But at the same time, I need to put together a team of people that will deliver. Right. And I, I feel very good about the folks that I've got so far. I'll leave you with the last word, and and I, I want an answer to this. We have some mayoral candidates, mainstream mayoral candidates that, that have emerged. John Cooper, NPA. Ken Sim, who was 
a thousand votes shy yep. of the mayorship in 2018. Yep. Uh, Mark Marison, uh, Councillor Colleen Hardwick is also running for mayor. I hope I'm not missing anyone I that's it. in the mainstream. Yeah. Yep. What makes you different? Why is your course of policy and action still the best course for Vancouver compared to what everyone else is offering or can deliver? Yeah, I think for one thing, personally, I've got experience. And and I think when you show what I've delivered, that's it's working toward what, what Vancouverites want. So for example, doubling the supply of housing and making it mostly rental is shows that I, I can do what I say where they have no experience doing this, right? You can talk a good game. But the other thing, I haven't seen a single plan out of any of them. Hmm. So I remember Ken Sam in the last election said everybody could live in basement uh, apartments, right? <laughs> I mean, that, and that's not a plan. So, uh, you know, um, that's what I'll be presenting. Uh, but, but it is a pretty clear choice. It is a choice of whether we're going to move forward together, whether we're going to keep going the way we're going. And I, and I think it's the only way out of our housing crisis is to build more uh, or we're going to roll things backwards. So if you look at, uh, I call Carl, Colleen Hardwick, Dr. No. I mean, she votes against every single thing that she votes against the SkyTrain to UBC. She votes against, you know, every project that comes in front of council. Like, and, um, that's, that's not what the city needs. And, and I think, uh, John Cooper and, and Ken Sim and Mark Marison are all kind of versions of the same thing. Hmm. So it really is a move forward or move back. And I, I hope, uh, residents have enough confidence in me to to keep going forward in this direction, and it's and I do think it's it's producing results, and we'll really see it when those doors start opening on those on those uh, rental housing. Look, just drive around the city and see how many rental housing buildings are now under construction. There mm-hmm. are tons of them in all neighborhoods, and and those aren't luxury condos, right? Yeah. I mean, some of those are still being built, but. This is where the doctors, sorry, this is the nurses and the firefighters and the police and the teachers are going to be able to live. This, mm-hmm. And then with our MERP program, this is where the baristas and the folks working in the grocery stores are going to live. Like, so there is, a, there is a, a blueprint here for success. So we just can't wreck it. We have to keep going. Yeah, absolutely. Mayor Stewart, uh, I want to repeat this. I know I repeated this. The, uh, I know I said this the second time you're on the podcast. Want to be clear? This is not an endorsement, but an acknowledgement of your character. You came on the show when it was a podcast. It was literally nothing. We hadn't even put out an episode, and we booked you for a a recording in one of the weeks. You agreed to do it, sort of no questions asked. And I just want to express my gratitude for that. And I'm so happy that we can do this again. I I always enjoy chatting with you and and learning a little more about your point of view and, and municipal politics in general. So thank you so much for your time. Thanks for the work you do. Absolutely. Folks. A lot of people wanted to hear what he thought about Pierre Polyev's viral video, and he saved it for this show. He is the 40th and current mayor of the city of Vancouver, now representing the new electoral organization Forward Together. He is Mayor Kennedy Stewart, and I am Mo Amir telling you that in a city where you can be anything, be colorful. Peace. (laughs) 